Melissa Barrett is a legal academic, award-winning writer, filmmaker, and indigenous advocate. And I'm happy to say that Larissa Barrett is joining us to explore, first and foremost, First Nations knowledge through documentary, an exclusive session at the upcoming Australian International Documentary Conference. First of all, welcome to NITV Radio, Larissa. Thank you. It's great to be here. One of the key dis- uh, talking points of uh, this session will be discussing the importance of First Nations-led filmmaking practices in ensuring authenticity and respect when handling First Nations knowledge. Can you elaborate on this for us? Sure. Uh, you know, the content of the television show I'll be talking about is the show called The First Inventors, which is a co-production between NITV and Channel 10. And a lot of the content in it is looking at the um, knowledges and sciences in Indigenous knowledge systems. So it's very, the content is very strongly cultural and there's a lot of sensitivities around it. So from that point of view, the process of filmmaking needs to be incredibly collaborative with the talent who is coming on to share their knowledge. And that doesn't mean just, you know, working with them to make them comfortable, etc. It's really a much more structured uh, conversation about how they want the story to be told, what is it that they want audiences to take away, and then making sure that when um, things have been edited, that the community and the people involved from the community have had a chance to see how the story is shaped to ensure that it is resonant with the way that they would tell the stories, that we've stayed true to their voice. That was going to be my next question about how First Nations producers actually harness factual formats for, for broader audiences, yeah. Yeah, and look, this is a very um, challenging project in a lot of ways. I've done a lot of content for NITV over the years and it's uh, you have confidence that you can use a particular language or refer to um, different concepts within that content, say things like song lines. You can, ass- you can trust that First Nations people will have a stronger idea about what that is similarly with concepts of kinship but the challenge is when you are looking at a a show like this one that has two audiences the audience of NITV which is primarily mob and then a um, audience with channel 10 which uh, is going to be um, much more non-indigenous you have two very different levels of uh, knowledge about the issues in the audience that you have for the show. So I think one of the challenges for the producers is making sure that they provide the space for creatives like myself to do a much longer process of pre-production with communities, making sure we've got all of the right protocols in place and there really has been time to work out how we're going to tell the story but it also means a lot more time at the back end as well as we go through the editing process. I think one of the things that's been very exciting about this project is the community members around the country that we've worked with have been of course very excited to have content on NITV but they definitely appreciate what 
it means to be on a commercial channel and to be telling First Nations stories to people who might not otherwise hear them and then that then puts a lot more pressure back on the producers to make sure um, there is cultural integrity and in the process of making the stories more accessible we're not losing the integrity and the voice of our First Nations participants. Yeah, what you just said is a topic we've been talking about in the last few months at NITV and SBS as NITV just celebrated the 10th anniversary and uh, it's just about telling First Nations stories by First Nations people themselves, uh, which seems to be uh, aligning with what we'll be talking about in uh, the conference. Um, you know, obviously, um, I was involved with the establishment of NITV. I was the first chair and the whole idea of setting it up was to create a broadcasting space that would provide a platform for First Nations people to lead their storytelling. I think many of us who were involved with that process grew up when there was no First Nations content on television and when people came in to do Indigenous stories on rare occasions, they were done really, really badly. And you know, I think that what we see um, as part of the process of reclaiming um, the storytelling space of our own stories, our own history, our own perspectives is, you know, we, we're seeing a, a, a way in which people can express a kind of self-determination in how they tell their stories and having control over their stories. One thing that's very central to these ideas as well is um, our deeper understanding of what Indigenous cultural intellectual property is and and how under Western concepts people think they can come and take stories, but under our protocols, it, cultural knowledge needs to stay with knowledge holders. So this is a, a way of saying that as we've come into the space, told our stories. It's not just been an exercise of sovereignty and an exercise of self-determination. We have actually seen a real shift and a change in the way the industry works to tell stories and how it respects stories. I, I think that's a really important part of the NITV and the content makers story and the Indigenous media story that often gets untold. We've not only created a space within the industry, but we have transformed the industry. Yeah. And coming back to your film, upcoming film, The Fast Inventors, I saw that uh, yeah, it will transport viewers back in time between 70,000 and 120,000 years ago to a community in the midst of developing sophisticated stone tools, art, agriculture, irrigation, and much more. This will dispel a lot of the colonial myths about uh, how First Nations people lived. I really hope so. I mean, that was a, a really part of the aim. I grew up understanding completely how sophisticated many of our systems are. And, you know, at the heart of it, you have to ask the question, how did we become the world's oldest living culture? And you don't get to be that just by luck. It was by our innovation and it was about the way in which we live with our environment and it was about the way in which we live with each other. And even within things like the kinship system, uh, where we've got some sort of fabulous ways of looking at that, including 
Gomeroy mathematician Jared Field going through how much deep mathematics is in this kinship system, these were things that ensured that we lived for 65,000 plus years without ever needing a prison, without ever needing an orphanage, without ever having a homeless population. There were things that we did that were truly extraordinary. But then you've also got the innovation side of things. We look in the fourth episode at how Indigenous knowledges as we understand them today can actually help solve the problems of the future. And again, not just in relation to climate change, though of course that is one area where Indigenous knowledges have a real um, role to play in giving sustainable pathways forward. But, you know, as we're coming into a period where civil society is feeling very fragmented, um, you know, we we have ways in which we have structured our societies, which have meant we've um, been able to, to be a sustainable culture. So there's, uh, you know, I really hope that that is right um, when you say that, because that was the goal. And I know we've got some very big national conversations on at the moment about voice, truth and treaty, but there is a part of this project, this nas- these national conversations that really require Australians to more deeply understand how sophisticated our cultures are and to really celebrate the complexity, the nuance, the science, the sophistication of the cultures across our country. It's been very exciting to make it and I have learnt things that I didn't know along the way. So as well as educating a broader Australian audience, I I hope that there are things within the shows, the stories we tell, the innovations we look at that make a lot of First Nations mob, you know, really proud. Yeah, and I must say, when you spoke about treaty and all that, you also produced uh, an award-winning film after the apology. Yes, yes, that's right. Um, uh, that the, the film came out almost 10 years after the apology and we were already seeing an increase in the number of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander children in out-of-home care so that the numbers since the apology were increasing exponentially. Um, we haven't seen that that trend change. And although that is a very hard social justice issue and the film also celebrates the role that First Nations grandmothers and parents play, grandparents play, uh, in ensuring that our children uh, stay out of out-of-home care and challenge wrongful removals. Um, it was also a, a look at the importance of our community-controlled sector and the, the importance of self-determination as a way to ensure that those statistics change. And I don't see a film like that that looks at a very hard issue like the increasing rates of child removal as being unrelated to a television show that looks at the sophistication of First Nations cultures. They are all part of a continuum of conversations we need to have and understandings we need to be providing to um, the broader Australian community to make sure that our cultures remain strong, that we have the space we need to practice our cultures, that our that, that we are self-determining and sovereign in the way that we live our lives and that state intervention into our lives in terms of our children, the criminal justice system, the juvenile justice system, um, you know, is, is kept at bay. 
Yeah, I couldn't think of two movies that actually encapsulate the topics that we'll be covering and the main topics that we discuss in the community that are not properly addressed and only First Nations people could address them the way they should. Thanks a lot for taking the time to talk to us today. Lovely. Thank you so much.